six, we be in the mix with that rare candy paint job on the whip. I need food for the kids, money for the rent. Fuck a lockdown, baby, I can't do that shit. And I don't never vote, cause I'm fucking broke. And either way, I know the police ain't gon' leave me alone. On a plane by the visit, land rock, need crypto. Told me I should bring the Glock with me, so I packed up my piece and I'm sliding. Cause we might get caught up in a riot. Middle finger Trump, middle finger Biden. Fuck a left, fuck a right, is you riding? Ain't no politics, baby, we just talking From the birds to the bricks, we be in the mix With that rare candy paint job on the whip, who you with? Okay, so we are joined today by the great T. Colin Campbell And I'm actually looking at uh, the copy of the China study that I have in front of me right now um, it's, uh, it's it's quite interesting my, my wife admittedly I have not read it front to back but I've read bits and pieces of it and my wife's a lot more well versed in this book than I am um, but uh, I, I guess before we get into that book I just want to say uh, once again thanks for joining us but can you just list your credentials because some people when they when they hear plant-based people they think kind of just a, a quack you know just a quack out there uh, uh <laughs> oh man let's like maybe just some of your credentials and and your history in this field well i started this work in graduate school uh in 1956. wow so i've yeah. been in this business for more about six six counting that 60 some years in any wow. case, the work I did at that time, and particularly for my doctorate, uh, was to promote the consumption of more animal protein because I'm from a farm, dairy farm, mm-hmm. and I was in that kind of department. So it was all about promoting animal protein. We didn't mishear you. You said promote animal protein, right? That's right. Okay. Exactly right. And so uh, in any case, I finished up at Cornell in 58 and then was at MIT for a couple of years, finally in an academic position at Virginia Tech. Uh, there, I uh, was put in charge of a program in the Philippines feeding malnourished children. State Department mm. program it was a contract with the university, and I saw something that was pretty odd. Uh, namely, the children we were supposed to get them more protein. Okay, consistent with my background, but in reality, I, I saw some evidence—not convincing, but some evidence—that children who got the most protein got liver cancer. Hmm. Pretty common cancer. So at that point, I was presented with a dilemma. What do I do? Came back to, to uh, Virginia Tech at that time, got myself an NIH grant that lasted then for seven more cycles, eight more cycles, actually, for next close to about 30 years. Wow. Uh, and so uh, in story, I was just asking a question. Does animal protein increase cancer? It sounds, sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of work. I had a lot of students. We published a lot of work. I mean, a lot of uh, papers. And sure enough, animal protein not only causes, promotes cancer, it's very dramatic. Hmm. It's very fast. Yeah. It occurs within days almost. We could get to a point where we could turn things on and off. Give animal protein, turn cancer on, turn it off, I mean, drop it, turn it off. Or if we replace the animal protein plant protein, that was it. So... Is that, that an was, example of epigenetics? Is that the what, what you would call well, it? Well, yeah, they called it epigenetics. That, that word came in after I had done yeah. that work. But in any case, yeah, technically, you're correct. Uh, so anyhow, that was my kickoff. And then eventually, it was so dramatic that I had a chance then to organize a study in China, the first research project between the United States and China, actually. Uh, and that went on, and we collected the New York Times called it the Grand Prix of all studies. 
uh, at the time. Oh, wow. That's right. Headlined. And so what I was interested in there was, is this effect in animal proteins similar to, let's say, humans? And so we in China at that time, we uh, surveyed 130 villages across the country, about 6,500 families. Yeah. Tremendous amount of data. And sure enough, people consume just a small amount of animal protein. Yes, they got the Western kind of disease that we get. That was a surprise. Wow. And so what we were seeing, in the, that, that, so that happened. And then it kept on going on and on. And I finally looked into the research of others who did not know what they did not know mm. and found out that animal protein is a potent promoter of cancer. Mm. You know, so this, this, this China da da data, these, these Chinese villagers, they're not eating factory farm pigs and chickens, right? It's, 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 it was more of a pure meat back then and it was still promoting. Oh cancer. yeah. This is, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is rural China. So yeah. there, I mean, it was no such thing as a factory hardly. Um, yeah. And the very, very rural area and the people, 94% of the people in our study were born in the counties where they lived at the time, wow. which meant uh, that they, you know, that whatever we saw in the difference in the different counties was probably related to the local food. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, uh, we, we saw these effects and at the same time, heart disease went up, cancer went up and so forth. Uh, and that was really quite dramatic. So then I, I came back and did a lot more research over the years with a lot of students and finally came up with a fairly simple, simple suggestion. Namely, it's just, you know, the, the complexity of this relationship between diet and cancer or heart disease or diabetes or whatever, the complexity is beyond comprehension biochemically. You know, I mean, there's so many things operating. We can't just yeah. think of one, one thing, that's crazy. Yeah. So it all works together and that's the way it works. And so um, that led me eventually to more the more recent years. I just have two stories to tell, two mm -hmm. main conclusions out of that complexity. Number one, don't eat animals. Animal protein increases cholesterol. That's a work of others. It increases heart disease. That's been known for more than a hundred years. <laughs> we just didn't we didn't we didn't pay attention to it, or you know, researchers did not. On and on and on. Uh, so I got two suggestions. Don't eat animal protein. We don't need it. We get all the protein we need from plant foods. That's silly. And, and But the interesting thing is I, that's a big statement because over all these right. years, we believe that animal protein was so-called high-quality protein compared mm -hmm. to plant protein. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's false. Okay. So part of my work went back and actually looked at the original data on that, and that, that was a bit of a fib to say the least, <laughs> over 100 years ago. Uh, so animal protein is not high quality. We get all the protein we need from plants. So what what year, so the China project was called the Grand Prix of Studies by the New York Times. How did that involve into the into the book, the China study, and how was that received? Uh, well, the study people? was, yeah, okay, the study was done in uh, uh, 1983. Uh, which is quite long. That's where our two countries are first starting to talk to each other, quite frankly. Okay. I was done in 1983. Uh, and then in 19, uh, and so we, we worked with my college, University of Oxford, and I had a big team. I had, we had 130 villages in China, a lot of, I mean, we had about four laboratories from around the world. It, it became a big study. Yeah. And so uh, finally, the New York Times got wind of it. Uh, and, uh, 
interviewed me and some others. And uh, that was uh, published in 1990. Mm -hmm. uh, then okay. uh, at that point in time, uh, I was running into a lot of flack. Yeah. In my community. <laughs> that was part of my career and uh, quite nasty. You don't I was, say. by the way, a full professor at Cornell by then. Mm. And uh, so, were you, were you ten, tenured at that point in 1990? Oh yeah, I was. I was actually given tenure. There's an important point: given tenure and academic freedom. Yes. Uh, when I was at Virginia Tech in 1969. Yes. So yeah. you know, I've had tenure and and that sort of stuff for 55 years. Yeah. I came to Cornell. Obviously, brought that with me. And uh, so, uh, and I say that's an important point. Good question because it's only the academic tenure that allowed me to do the things I did. If I did not have tenure, I would not be sitting here now talking to you. Right. So, that's one of your main points that you like to bring up is that tenure, tenure in the scientific academic communities has been on sharp decline for decades and decades now. Right. And it's yeah, causing a lot right. of movement. Yeah. Except, except they started to decline rapidly and markedly. Uh, and yeah. uh, from about 1980 onwards. So that's having that, that has a direct impact on academic freedom for what professors yes, and researchers can do. Exactly. Okay. So the way it works in academia, you know, your first assistant professor, then your associate professor, then full professor. So uh, when you get uh, promoted from assistant to associate, usually that's when academic freedom is considered. And that's when I got my academic freedom. So. I was okay. uh, quite young at the time, just my 30s. So I've had this privilege of speaking what I feel like, whatever I feel like saying for, for all these years. And that yeah. was uh, really important to me because I was deeply involved in national policy development on food and health as well. Okay. And, some, and uh, yeah, that, that's a really big deal. I'm right yeah, now, there's, so, I'm, there's so I'm, much we want to ask you about um, the NIH stuff, about the China study, how it was received, people critiquing the China study. But I got it. So the book, The China Study, so we're both NFL fans, American football. And I believe you found a, a big fan in Tony Gonzalez, one of the greatest tight ends of all time. Maybe true? the greatest. Yeah, yeah. he's unbelievable. Uh -huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you started to get some celebrities and some no, notoriety as a published author outside of academia more influencing people in their homes and their kitchens when they ate out kind of thing. Right. And then that's how I think most people know you is people that read the China study or whole or watched plant pure nation, one of your other works and started changing their diet. And I assume getting results, reversing heart disease, re reversing uh, blood pressure and perhaps reversing cancer and other things. Um, so it seemed to escape from academia. What was that like for you? to witness this, the, this birth of this movement and be at the forefront of it? Well, it's uh, it's been exciting to say the least. Uh, I uh, came up with the term plant-based, by the way. I didn't want it to be considered vegetarian right, uh -huh. or vegan because that doesn't yeah. sell that well in science. Yeah. It's a poison uh, term. You know, it's a poison term. Like people, yeah, the minute is. they hear it, the, it turns off in their brain, right? Yeah, like right. The, you're not listening anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I would call it poison, but that's your term. <laughs> well, the term is poisoned. What I'm saying is if I shout it, if I said, if I went to a bunch of people at a steakhouse and said like, hey guys, you guys should switch to veganism. They already have a a, 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 a term or they already have a, a connotation yeah. <laughs> developed of like, who the heck are you, man? Like, That's like, right. Exactly. Like Plant-based plant -based can perk ears up because a lot of people still like vegetables, you know, yeah. even if they eat, even if they're omnivores. So I, I, I see what you're saying as far as 
you know, when it's not poison. I love vegetables too, but it's it's uh, it's in a sense that uh, connotations matter. I think. Yeah, and I I also find it funny that like a lot of the vegan community really claims you, but you don't really claim veganism. You you claim whole food, plant based as your as your clarion call kind of thing, you know, and and that's that's always been a distinction you've made is that unprocessed, largely oil free, seed oil free for those that are into that, right? Um, so you don't damage your interior, you know, your interior structure of your arteries and things like that. Is that because that's the big thing? There's a lot of people that eat an omnivorous diet, but they're avoiding oils and things now because they're worried about heart disease and stuff like that. Inflammation. You're, you're, yeah, you're saying that animal protein can be intrinsically damaging to the vascular system. Would you, could you go into that for a little for a little while? Yes. Um, that was first uh, noted in 1909. Wow. By Russian scientists. And then it was studied quite extensively by a number of labs between then and 1924. Because they, they, at first what they noticed was that Increasing protein increased the level of cholesterol in the blood, which mm. suggested in turn, you know, it's coming from the food, let's say, right? Yeah. And so uh, the, the, the cholesterol, they thought cholesterol in the food was what's causing cholesterol in the blood. That's not true. Uh, then they turned their attention to the, the protein question, and they concluded after 14, 15 years or so, uh, it was published in 1926, I think it was, uh, that th without a doubt, animal protein is the cause of increased blood cholesterol and heart disease. Wow. It's not dietary fat. Interesting. It's not, it's not the saturated fat or total fat, uh, which tends to be the vegan argument. That's another reason I don't. Yeah. That uh, yeah. It's not about fat. It's about, ironically, it's really about animal protein, which they should, they should support. And, yeah. you know, with all kinds of enthusiasm, but they don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty much know the reason why. Yeah. They don't, want to, they, they don't want to admit that this information came from experimental animal studies, which I think is. Uh, yeah. Silly. That's it's really silly. silly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, because it happens to do with human health. But in any case, um, that so that story during the last 100 and 150 years almost is that uh, we've been praising animal protein all along. And in part because it generated a huge industry. Ah, that's that's the catch. And so you know now the livestock industry in the world is huge to say the least. Sure. And you and I will. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this at length later. You've run into problems with your work scientifically with the animal ag industry at your various institutions. But I just want to say, it seems like there's a lot of non-plant-based eaters out there that turn a blind eye to the animal agriculture industry or they they acknowledge it but they kind of dismiss it as important mm -hmm. and it really it's it really is one of the most powerful industries on the planet especially in the americas right and it has a direct influence on the science that we're allowed to do and talk about and i think you are ground zero for that <laughs> and I'm, we could talk about that now or later in terms of uh, maybe a little bit of censorship and academic freedom and issues you've experienced along those lines. Cause you've worked at one of the biggest and most prominent and prestigious land grant institutions, uh, in the world pretty much. Right. And con deeply connected to animal agriculture and milk and dairy and meat and stuff like that. So, yeah. What do you, wh what do you think about that? <laughs> well, you're quite correct. Cornell is, uh, sort of the citadel 
for uh, this kind of thinking, you know, using animal foods and animal protein. Mm. Uh, when I was working in the Philippines, by the way, this is before I came back to Cornell, when I was in the Philippines with these, working with these kids, uh, at that time, their, their uh, university at Los Manos. Mm. Uh, half the faculty were from Cornell, believe it or not. They yeah. were trained at Cornell. Yeah. So Cornell had a big reputation in the world for their promotion of animal agriculture, if you will. Uh, obviously, in my case, uh, when I started to get into this, uh, that what didn't set too well with some university authorities. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and in spite of the fact that I wasn't, our, our department was listed number one in the in the country, nutrition, mm -hmm. and I had the biggest program in the department. Wow. Also, I had a very senior, uh, you know, faculty position too. And so, uh, but that didn't seem to matter. I was saying the wrong thing. Yeah. Okay. And so mm -hmm. that. That kind of turned out to be a, not just for Cornell, but also turned out to be a issue across the world. Yeah. Right. And you went and you went into when you were originally doing your study. You said it was just trying to get somebody more protein. How do we get me people more protein? Right. However, your your opponents tend to have gone into their studies with an expected result. Result, correct? Like, well, our studies have to yield this result as far as um, you know basically animal protein being more uh, streamlined through, through, uh, through food, through the food uh, industry and stuff. So I, I think it's, uh, I mean, at least you can say you've been doing honest science, right? Because I mean, what, who knows what science means even in, in 2022, but I, I tend to think that it's allowing yourself to uh, come to a conclusion you weren't expecting. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, I'm a big fan of our classical science. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, as I say, I came from a farm and my dad, uh, was uh, only had two years of formal education. This is yeah. part of my story. Wow. And I traveled at just over 100 miles a day just to go to high school <laughs> to get an education. So he wanted me to obviously do that. And he left me with a statement he often made, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Yep. Yeah. So in my personal background, I'm obviously, uh, you know, that's part of my background. Yeah. Uh, so in science, what I found about science, I liked what a regional life science is because it was a formal opportunity to search for truth. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Wow. And I taught three courses over the years to students on this whole concept. How do you, how do you engage, you know, in good scientific discussion? It's a lot of fun. You know, you can have people with op opposing points of view. It can be a lot of fun, those kind of debates and things like that. Yeah. But what I discovered was that that's all, that's all dandy. <laughs> except when uh, some external forces sort of get involved. Yeah. And they and control they, the And that's just, that immediately ruins what the heart of science. That it's just, like, I think you've said before, science is the art of observation, right? right. And if you're, if, if you're looking the other way, and that brings me, okay, I want to get back to the heart disease a little bit because I don't think people realize that, pe that heart disease is reversible and thousands, tens and th I don't know the number, millions of people have reversed heart disease on a whole food plant-based diet in a shockingly uh, replicable fashion, right? So we we don't need to die from heart disease. Is that is that true? If if we treat our bodies yeah. correctly in the vast majority of cases. Yeah, I, I, at this point, I do want to give credit to my colleagues, however. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I turned cancer on and off. That was cancer, a yeah. tougher disease than experimental animals. And that was in the early 1980s, yes. uh, almost late 70s. So finally, then, uh, when the China study came out, 
this guy from Cleveland by the name of Esselton picked up the phone and called me. He said, whoa, what's going on here? So he, he told me about his work, and then Dr. Dean Ornish in yes. California as well. They were both sort of involved in that game, and they, they were taking people. They didn't know of my work until just, I don't know, weeks before that or something. They saw it in the New York Times. So they were had started their study, and they were giving people with heart disease this uh, so-called vegan diet at the time. They were still using dairy. But I, I should say they weren't quite there, but I, was, I got very excited about the work. Mm-hmm. Because it was an affirmation in the sense of what I was seeing in the lab. Yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, I do want to give, uh, as I say, credit to uh, Esselton and Ornish, those two, and yeah. others. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started, you know, using people to do, do that kind of thing. So, so, yeah. And it, from what you've, the, from research you've shared, that if you stick with the diet, the whole food plant-based diet, no or very low oil, you know, fresh vegetables, that kind of thing, the the rates of reversal is extremely high, like over ninety percent, right? And people that are oftentimes at on death's door with heart disease, where they have complete, completely blocked arteries, right? And then we see after one or two years, their arteries are ninety percent healed and completely plaque free, right? Yep, that's uh, that was as I say, their work. We, in the China study, we saw something something similar to those who okay. consume the least amount of animal protein, very almost, you know. They, they, uh, their cholesterol levels are much below what we even have in this country. Interesting. So at that time, that was considered you know, abnormally low. Yeah. Okay. And so, but in any case, that that piece of information was quite valuable in a sense. Yeah. As you start increasing animal foods to get that animal protein, right? Then you know cholesterol starts going up, and you get so heart I, disease. Yes. Yeah. I always find it funny because there's a lot of people, probably a lot of people that listen to this show, honestly, and the people in the diet world that have internalized this memo of animal animal foods don't cause heart disease. <laughs> but I always found it funny that removing animal foods completely cured heart disease. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of, and I'm not saying that everyone that eats animal animal protein is going to have a heart attack, but it is interesting that you can make yourself essentially heart attack proof by avoiding it. And I just right. think it's a. I think there's some kind of level of denial in the, in the nutrition world, uh, even today. Even it's it's twenty twenty it's twenty twenty two. You know, almost twenty twenty three. And it's we've known about this, like you said, for hundred twenty years. But for sure, for the last forty years, without a shadow of a doubt, basically. Yeah, a- absolutely. You're, the, you're, you're talking about the nutrition community being in denial. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's a reason for that too. What's that? Because the nutrition field, and I'm talking about my own colleagues right now. <laughs> people, I mean, I don't have a problem. My colleagues say, you know, as individuals, it's fine. But when the university, you know, is uh, loaded up with uh, associations with the animal industry, it can make it hard. Yeah. It can make it hard. And so we all have to deal with that. But in nutrition, uh, unfortunately, they most of the nutrition, professional nutritionists have not gone along with me. Yeah. Believe it or not. If you're comfortable with it, could you talk about the maybe I know you had some issues with teaching this at your own university that you were professor emeritus at and had tenure. Would you be comfortable talking a little bit about that? Maybe about I know oh, you yeah. had an issue getting your, your course canceled at your own university, things like that. Yeah, I ended up uh, near the in the 1990s. I was getting coming close to retirement at that time. I. I uh, was asked if I would teach a, co- teach a course in vegetarianism. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I said, yeah, I've been thinking about teaching a course, that, you know, for which there are a lot of challenges just for the student interest. And that was one of the issues. And I, I wanted to call it something else, but I was told by the department chair, call it vegetarianism because that's where the students are. Okay, call it vegetarianism. Okay. And so I did that course and for nine times, uh, seven times, it turned out to be a very popular course hmm. uh, on the campus. And then I, as I say, I was not really, you know, trying to energize the vegetarian community, but it did. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's fine. That's great. Uh, but um, finally, the department chair got a little bit upset with me. And I, after, then I technically retired. I still was going to continue to teach for more years. Okay. But the head of the, that, at that time, the students called me up. And I took, took up one year to start promoting my book, if you will. Yeah. And uh, I got a, uh, a notice from one of the students on campus. What happened to your course? We want to register for it. So yeah. I was away and I came back to Cornell. I said, what's going on? Why did you take, who took that out of the catalog? It was out of the catalog. <laughs> but, and yeah. the, the department chair did. Yeah. And so uh, at that point, but he had a very strong relationship with the animal food industry. Yeah. So yeah. he and I had been in each other's throats quite a bit, you know, uh -huh. over the years. But uh, he took it out of the, out of the uh, catalog. I went all the way to the president of the university. Hmm. I had access to the number one attorney in the in the country, wow. you know, in, in this whole matter. But I, I, then the the power of of uh, this whole negation process, if you will, is enormous. Yeah, absolutely, it's un unreal. And, and again, um, this is this is just teaching people how to prevent and reverse disease. Yeah, so that's all. That's all it was. It's almost uh, unethical to prevent the the free flow of this information. I would say, and I yeah. know you're you're a big free speech guy and a huge academic freedom guy, and that's I think that's evolved over your career as well. That's right. That's why I was able to do this and write the book. In fact, only because of that academic freedom. I mean, yeah, I could have written it without academic freedom, but who would have listened to that? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So uh, the academic freedom was a big issue. Big yeah. big issue. Yeah, um, I had a I had a, an interesting take. I mean, we, we come from kind of a like there's an Internet community now uh, that we I, I guess they're a part of as far as like the health uh, aspect. And a lot of guys are like bodybuilders. They're some of them are carnivores. Some of them are just all about raw milk, uh, about this, about that. But the um, uh, I, I guess what people might tend to think is that after a few years of covid, maybe feeling that covid was a little mishandled by the media and stuff they might think they tend to think when they see things covered by the world economic forum things covered by uh other big things where they they there's a whole thing of they, they want you to they want you to be vegan they want to take meat away from you because they want you to starve right it's almost as though they think that plant-based is is the dominant narrative right now um i i disagree with that although i am an omnivore but i i don't tend to think that that's the case could you maybe speak on that if you or have you heard of that i should say of course um the uh, yeah the the accusation uh, assertion or allegation if you will against me was the fact that I was nothing more than a vegan vegetarian. And mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons I've been fairly proactive in saying that was not the issue at all. I, I do eat this way now, mm -hmm. uh, and I and I do have the word the whole food plant based, which is now catching on. But uh, the ones who are doing that, by the way, either directly or indirectly, are associated with the animal food industry. Yeah, interesting. They're really behind it in most cases. 
And so uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, and of course, I'm arguing on the other hand, I said, look at the science. Tell me what's wrong with the science. Yeah. They never can. Yeah. You, you've had a few quote unquote debunkers. And I'm, I'm very, I try and look for holes in everything. I'm, I'm definitely very into plant based and very biased. And I eat this way. But I've tried to find the holes in your work. And I, that, this brings me to another point epidemiology. In the China study, in the lab, you're doing the cancer research. In the China study, you're doing epidemiology. Epidemiology has kind of become a dirty word these days because there's so many models that people put out and so many projections and things like that. Um, talk to me about statistical power and how you can be sure that these, these effects that you're viewing are real. And um, what do you think of the state of epidemiology today in terms of nutritional sciences? It's a good good question. I'm writing another book, by the way, and I'm explaining oh. there and I uh, it'll be a smaller book, but in any case, uh, <coughs> uh, I've been also publishing the professional literature on this question. Yeah. You know, what what is it about epidemiology? What is it about lab research and so forth? Way back to 1948, almost uh, yeah. this issue about the type of research that can be done. This you know, convincing, if you will, or not convincing. There's all kinds of studies, eight, ten or so like that, different kinds of things. Uh, and uh, so they, the couple of epidemiologists in Britain came up with a couple, some standards that we judge research by, and they've stood the test of time. One of them is that when you see something that's odd, one of the things you should repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Maybe get somebody else to repeat it, see how it goes. And that's one thing, it's just simply repetition. Yeah. Uh, another is to prove its plausibility. In other words, if I say animal protein turns on cancer, what, what, wait a minute, they'll say, you know, what's, what's the mechanism? How does that work? Mechanism, yeah. And, and so that's that's a big thing for the pharmacology community in particular. Yeah. So we went about, and that's part of my story, we went about about 15 years. You know, I have graduate students and usually involved a graduate student thesis, maybe a doctoral thesis. I was looking for the mechanism. I was yeah. in that space too, to some extent. We have to find the mechanism to prove, to prove, I mean, prove biological plausibility. Yeah. After a while, we got to a point where, after ten really serious attempts to find out what the mechanism is, at that point in time, every single one, one we looked at could have been the mechanism. Uh, Eight of them were increased; that meant more cancer. Two of them were decreased; that meant more cancer too, because mm -hmm. those two mechanisms were protective mechanisms. Okay. And so I finally got to this point where I'm very excited about it. It's a whole new definition of what nutrition is. Hmm. Nutrition is the expression of food in our bodies. That's really where, where the action is. I like that. Is. Interesting. Yeah. And so and at that point in time, when we eat food, our bodies look at it. And, and when Mother Nature, when, when she wants to do something to, to serve our bodies in some capacity, she wants to have access to all the nutrients in the food mm -hmm. because they work together. Yeah. And so the way nutrition works is not because of this nutrient, that nutrient, or some other. That's not the way it is. Yeah. That's called reductionism. Yeah. And I'm talking about everything working together. That's nature. That's yeah. it's a, a fantastic illustration of nature herself. Yeah. Because she, she just looks at all this stuff and it turns out all the stuff that creates disease reduction is all from plants. Yeah. None, yeah. none from animals, zero, none. I wanted to maybe pivot a little bit to, okay, so you're, you've been doing work on this since the fifties. You've been at Cornell for a very, very long time, professor emeritus. And you've also, um, 
you've you've done a ton of work for government agencies as a scientist through the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. I know you've you've had a long running streak of funding through the NIH, um, but I also know you have a lot of critiques of the NIH. And I, uh, because of, I feel, COVID over the last two years, a lot of people are hearing about the NIH <clears throat> and for the first time and how these machines work and how these scientific organizations interact. So maybe talk a little bit about your history at the NIH and what you really think about it and uh, what, you, what do you think about uh, the state of science carried out by the <clears throat> NIH and all that in regards to nutrition. You're very, you're very good. You're asking very... Uh, Literally. Hey, we do our research here. Good question. <laughs> yeah. In he any does, case, yeah. NIH is yeah, it's a, it's a big institution. It's the largest, most influential research funding agency in the world, number one. Okay. So it's made out of uh, a total of 27 different institutes. Wow. One institute, institute, you know, National Institute of Cancer, one for heart disease, one for diabetes, one for that, that kind of thing. Yeah. There's not one called the Institute of Nutrition. That's yeah, yeah. not one. Shocked. Um, yeah. And so I've been very much involved in NIH. Not only did they fund my research, 90% of it at least. Um, and uh, I've been involved with them in, in other ways, um, like being on committees to determine what kind of research you get funded. Yeah. Uh, I've given lectures to two different administrations uh, at, at NIH on, you know, they just that's with the director's office, just with his own staff. So I've really been, uh, you know, to hear they, uh, NIH is one handled the money to was passed on to the National Academy of Sciences to produce a report, Diet, Nutrition, Cancer. That was a okay. It was a history-making thing at the time. <clears throat> so NIH, they, they don't, they don't, and they do everything they can, to be honest about it. Okay. To deflect any serious consideration of nutrition. I got my funding, not because I was arguing for nutrition, by the way. I got it to try to understand how does cancer work. Yeah. And I was using the animal protein as a thing to adjust, you know, to modulate the growth of the cancer. Uh-huh. So then I could search for mechanisms and stuff like that. Yeah. So I was really doing more cancer research than nutrition research. <clears throat> but then I saw this evidence that the effect of nutrition was so dramatic. It, it could control genes. Yeah. In other words, cancer is not a not a genetic disease as they tell you it is. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah. And so, you know, all diseases start with a gene someplace, maybe a group of genes. Okay. But they, whether or not they actually cause mischief or not, bad genes, let's say, it really has to do with the control of the expression of the gene. Yes. That's where nutrition comes in. And that's where my early work, you know, raised that question. They yeah. don't, no one wants to hear that. <laughs> right. Because you can actually control disease, even with your genes. Yeah. To eat the right food. <clears throat> so NIH is part of the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. There's FDA, mm-hmm. NIH, and some others. <clears throat> um, that's that's one big agency in the, in the government. The biggest, yeah. quite frankly, in many ways. So... Lyndon Johnson said this best and when he, after he stepped out from uh, being president. He called in 50 of the leaders of the pharmaceutical companies. This is written up in uh, Scientific American, or written up by the editor of Scientific American. But in any case, he comes into the meeting with these 50 guys, powerful guys. 
And he says, <clears throat> in his usual way, he said, well, boys, how'd you like the way I spent your money? <laughs> and so uh, they kind of sat there and he said, he said, I, I ask you, how did you, you know, how do you like to spend your money? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's just that way. Yeah. He said, I'm talking about NIH. <laughs> you own NIH. You control NIH. Wow. And wanted to tell them at the time, you know, we can solve this problem because he said every year we come in and we, there's a big political argument about, you know, how much money are you going to give here, there, and every place else? How much money is NIH going to get? Yeah. And, and so that was his point talking about it that, in that way because the pharmaceutical industry was more powerful than the military. Wow. Uh, and that's another story I'll tell you about in a moment. But that's what he said. You're, you're in control. You own it. Uh, and he put up a, a, a white sheet, you know, a flip chart. And he had an idea. He showed him how this country could actually create a scientific uh, way, I mean, an agency, a way in which to support science. Honestly, we could do that, not be subject to the corporate influence. And what he said it was something like this. He said, I think he's trying to get the details right. He said, you 50 companies or whatever it was, if you pay for three years, we'll take your taxes, put them into a trust fund. And I did about three years. That trust fund that will become large enough at that point that will guarantee a constant support of funding as a percent of the total budget every year, a good generous amount. But he said, you won't do it. <laughs> you won't do it because you own it. Yeah. And so that was kind of the end of the idea. And in any case, I saw that. That was yeah. 1969. So in 1974, when I was offered a position at Cornell, uh, we were at that time, I was, we were owning a farm just outside of Blacksburg. <clears throat> the guy who came to uh, buy our place, <clears throat> uh, his name was Charles Spencer. You can look it up, in fact. Uh, he bought a place. He had just retired from uh, the Pentagon. He was the chief of marketing for 26 years at the Pentagon. Marketing at the Pentagon. Uh, yeah, he, wow. he was moving out. He was retiring. He, we were living sort of in the mountains outside. Really nice place. Mm -hmm. A lot of land. And he, we were talking about the Vietnam War at the time. He found out what I was doing and that sort of thing. So yeah. I was complaining to him. I said, you know, <clears throat> he said at Pentagon, I said, you know, the biggest problem I'm having right now is you, you guys getting all the money <laughs> for the war. He said, yeah. no, no, no. That's not true. And so when he told me something, to go back to the, the Johnson story, he said, you don't understand. He said, yeah, the, the military is a, quite a good-sized budget, but the pharmaceutical company is bigger. <laughs> and yeah. he, in fact, himself, was the, the agent representing the Pentagon in the White House. A lot of White House meetings when Nixon was in office at the time. Wow. He was in and out of the office all the time with Ehrlichman and Haldeman and stuff like that. He said, you need to understand, there's a big, it's a pharmaceutical company that run this country. Wow. That was 1975, just six yeah, years ago. Yeah, so it's, it hasn't gotten any better since then. I think it's only gotten no, it's worse. Not, it's gotten worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. gotten worse. And so um, I'm right, no, I don't want to say that. I'm not going to put that on air right now. But, <laughs> okay. Uh, it's yeah. all right. Yeah, he's, yeah. That's for the story. In any case, we have been subjected to tremendous pharmaceutical company interest. Yeah. And then the fact they basically run the whole medical system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, I'm sorry. I, th I think the way that 
and, it, and it's crazy because the general public, um, I'm not in the health community other than the show that we do, just people I talk to, uh, just the, the way that this has shaped people's way of thinking where it's basically inevitable that they're going to get either heart disease, have a heart attack, develop some form of cancer it's just Uh it's going to happen and therefore how's the doctor going to get this out of me that's essentially people have kind of just surrendered the idea of avoiding these of avoiding these illnesses which i find crazy because they'll say well as you said genetically oh my well my dad had uh colon cancer so i got i gotta get a million screenings for this i gotta do this and that but they won't change anything about or or think about maybe why their dad got that you know and and uh i i find it weird for the human psychology of just kind of surrendering to the fact that these diseases are going to just take them out, you know, or, or hopefully they can survive it and hopefully they can uh, burn it out of their bodies with cancer treatment or, or whatever. I, I just, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you encounter some of those same, uh, you know, conversations, but I, I hear it constantly and it drives me nuts. Yeah, of course. I have a personal story to tell in about six different ways. Uh, when I was, uh, I'm now 88, uh, by the way, uh, wow. But in the early 19, when I was in my early 50s, okay, my wife was in the late 40s at the time. Uh, we then really started to change our diet. Some people would say that'd be too late. Yeah. My father had had a heart attack as a farmer, otherwise fit. He had a heart attack when he was 62. Mm. He passed when he was 70. Yeah. His brother had a fatal attack when he was 58. Wow. Their father, my grandfather, died of a stroke at 73. So it's in my family on the male side. I guess I got the genes. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it was, I had a little interest in, in that sense um, a little bit later. But my wife, on the other hand, has got cancer in her family. She lost her mother when she was 51 mm-hmm. with colon cancer. And that was a, quite a story itself. Ugh. Yeah. So, you know, here we are uh, kind of looking at this, this nutrition thing. We're, we're starting to change for, because of the data. And I, I thought well, it would be nice if we could have a few more years. Well, see, I'm 88 right now. He was gone at, at 70. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His, her mother was gone at 51, and she's 80, 81. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. That's what, what are we? Just a case of one, case of two. Yeah. yeah. But it was intentional. Yeah. In other words, it wasn't saying, you know, it, it, the data for me was so persuasive. Yeah. And it's also easy to do, much easier yeah. than people think. They're just not told how to do it. Yep, yep. And so, yeah. and I, th- I like what Caldwell Esselstein says about this. That he's the the Cleveland Clinic heart disease doctor. Okay. Uh, he, um, he, I, I always love this quote. He says, "Heart disease is a toothless paper tiger that need not exist." Basically, like there's there's no reason for it to exist if we choose not to not to have it rule our lives essentially. That's right. I always love that. And your your now your extended family pretty much all eats this way, correct? Like your 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 sons and the, the grandkids and everything for the most part eat plant-based. Is that is that that's Yeah, true? we've got five grown children and 11 grandchildren and wow. so forth. The spouses were 100% of these eat this way. Wow. Every single one of us. Yeah. And your 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 sons are medical doctors or in medical school, right? And and doing all that, right? Yeah. So they're, I assume that they're championing bringing nutrition to the medical sphere and the medical school sphere. Right? Yeah. That's another whole story. I don't particularly want to get into it right here, but that's okay. uh, yeah. it's, it's kind of hard. I have to tell you, I've spoken <laughs> in medical schools in all but six, six 
or states in the United States. Wow. All so but six. In, wow. Yeah. I was involved in uh, supposedly helping to bring nutrition to the medical community. Yeah. We're not interested. <laughs> There's a reason. There's yeah. a reason. They're living under a philosophy that we could take one thing, drug, mm -hmm. maybe one nutrient, whatever, one mm -hmm. mechanism, that's they're, they're That's part of their thinking. That's yeah. the whole world. Yeah. That's their that's what have you that's how they're trained right yeah yeah it, it, so and then on top of it uh the, the, the medical system is an expression of reductionism yeah and they don't teach nutrition not a medical school in the united states teaches nutrition yeah yeah and yet when you look at those two metrics those two systems they're just like this yeah it's just it's so easy to see yeah. What's going on? So yeah. on on that note, I do want to get into. I know you've talked about this uh, briefly on other shows. Um, the three of us have one thing in common, uh, at least one thing in common, uh, that none of us decided to get the COVID nineteen vaccine, uh, Pfizer, Moderna, none of it. Um, I know a lot of the people in the plant based community, whole food plant based. Uh, a lot of the doctors and people are very adamant that you should get it. And we're not here to judge anyone's decision or say what's right or wrong, but I, and I know you've talked about this before, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on maybe why you chose to refrain from getting it. Um, your thoughts on all this stuff surrounding COVID and the medical system. Uh, yeah. Anything you have to say about that? Yeah. The first thing I'm going to say is I'm all in favor of the, the idea that, uh, people are in control of their own health. There you go. They make their own choices as to what they want to do. Wow. To me, that's number one. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, but at the same time, we all know that when people make decisions, it's better to have some knowledge of, you know, some to use, right? Yeah. They got to be informed. It should be informed decisions. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very sorry to say that most people are not informed. <laughs> You know, they're they're subject to you know the media and everything uh -huh. everybody else. So uh, they make their decisions. There's a lot of also a significant number of skeptics too. But in any case, when the uh, word came out about this uh, coronavirus in January of uh, 2020, yeah, 2020, mm -hmm. uh, and a big discussion started to to come out at the time. I saw immediately a problem. Yeah, <laughs> the first eight to ten years of my career actually were more than that, 10, 12 years were actually was actually devoted to pharmacology. Mm -hmm. I was in two professions: pharmacology and nutrition. I was a yeah. member of the two key organizations, research-wise, and so I was kind of living by the, the pharmaceutical model. I was looking for the mechanism, for example. Yeah, that's what we're doing for this interesting thing we had. And so uh, I and I could hear from the media the way they were reporting the news on this new coronavirus. They were not representing the facts. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know that yeah. very well. I, in fact, I was once the unanimous choice to be the associate commissioner of the FDA in charge of drugs. And wow. I turned it down. I gave it some thought at the time. So I was really I did know. Wait, hang, hang on. I just want you turn down the chance to be the head. What of the FDA? The, the, well, the FDA, uh, there's, there's the commissioner, right? And there's okay. two divisions of the FDA. One is food. The other yeah. is drug. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
uh, I was approached by one group at, uh, back in the 80s, actually, uh, said that I was the unanimous, they were as a search committee, uh, the, the 22 member committee had uh, unanimously uh, wanted to offer, make me an offer yeah. to be the social commissioner in charge of drugs. Uh-huh. And then the second time was with food and the former food director, associate commissioner, actually took me out to lunch. That's another story. But <laughs> I was the only reason I'm telling this because it was really up, up to here and this stuff. Yeah. I, I know how they work. Uh, and uh, they funded a bit of my research as well. Yeah. So when it came out, when this news came out in, in 2020, it was worded in such a way, it was very clear. The immediate people really didn't know what they were talking about. There was somebody else that sort of giving them the, the sheet, the cheat, cheat sheet. Yep. Uh, and they were saying things that I thought were very strange. They were talking like, like what were about, like what? Well, well, the one that caught my eye at first was the fact they talked about you know, it's been a horrible, horrible disease, and it's going to wipe us out. It's, you know, that kind of language, that, mm-hmm. that extreme language. And uh, they basically started focusing on numbers of cases. <laughs> yeah. But they worded that, they worded it in such a way that when they got done their little media, you know, piece, for example, they kept talking about cases, 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 then especially, and then occasionally mentioned deaths. Yeah. So the average viewer, it's very clear, the average viewer tended to think of cases as deaths. <laughs> yeah. One is equal to the other. Hmm. Very clever. Yeah. But, but by doing that, you know, they scared the crap out of everybody, as you know. Yeah. And that's part of the equation. Yeah. You know, have people fearful. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing. The other had to do with the messenger mRNA, which I'm <laughs> somewhat familiar with. I know there's some of the biochemistry of that. I didn't like what was here because it wasn't being re- reported at all well. Yeah. yeah. And then they were talking about, listen to the scientists, listen to the scientists. Well, not one of those scientists, not one, ever had a course in nutrition. <laughs> yeah. So they were they were statisticians, you know, good people. And you know, they were doing their thing. Uh-huh. I'm not, you know, picking on it, them at all, but um anyhow, I saw this here and when the Think him out, you know, we're going to have a vaccine. We're going to get it as soon as possible. Well, that's uh, 2020. It eventually came out on January, early January 2021. Right. So during that year, the vaccine was being developed. Uh, and uh, we're all supposed to be waiting, you know, enthusiastically for the vaccine. I, My wife and I, I did not want to do it. The reason I did not want to do it was not because of any political or philosophical reasons. It's just the fact that we had data in China. I've been working in this field. Yeah. It was really an informed decision. Nutrition doesn't, wouldn't quite work that way. Yeah. And the next thing happens, every time anybody even hinted at the idea it might be another way to think about this, uh-huh. it was, yeah. Oh, yeah. the media would never, ever mention it. You, t- so, you told me, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, that's the way it went for now three years, uh, yeah. actually. Oh, to almost three years. Mm-hmm. What is it? Yeah, January coming 20th. up. Yeah, coming up on yeah, three. Yeah. Right, three yeah. Years. And so the the vaccine finally came out in, in, in early January of 2021. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, the, the way they tell that story is not correct. <laughs> I've, I've got a chart of CDC and Johns Hopkins just following the the number of deaths and cases, stuff like this, in yeah. this country and the United States and so forth. They keep talking about that that vaccine being so successful uh-huh. it's not yeah. true yeah yeah 
Because uh, the peak went up in, in early January and then it fell. It was really uh, going down pretty fast. When it, it was that all happened even before they started the vaccines. Yeah. Remember yeah. they were saying the vaccine was 100% effective at first, yeah, so 99% like, effective. And it was a dead end. You couldn't spread it if you got yeah, it. So no don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. <clears throat> well, in any case, I, I've uh, obviously been very much aware of those claims. Uh, yeah. And uh, a lot of, unfortunately, good people just misinformed. Yeah, you know, totally. Sort of joining the joining the argument. Uh, I, yeah, I go. This is so you may know this. I don't know, but <clears throat> eventually, I mean, I'm not saying we won't get it. I'm not saying we won't die. Yeah, you know, not to make any. We don't do that. In, you don't do that in science. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I'm not trying to be the big shot and just say you know I know what's going to happen. Yeah, but yeah. just look at the data. To me, it was it was quite a, quite informative. So we didn't get the vaccines. Well, you you well, said you told summer, me you were, yeah go ahead this you summer in August we went to I was at a conference it's a conference of our nonprofit actually in Arizona <clears throat> we were there for a week or so and then uh, just a week later I was uh, the keynote speaker one of the keynote speakers of two two of us for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine so I went to Arizona get myself come back unfortunately we got uh, infected we tested mm. positive for COVID yeah. So okay, you know, we it's interesting. Um, we didn't neither one of us had a fever, neither <laughs> one of us had a headache. Yeah, we were not nauseated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, my my problems sleepiness basically, a little fatigue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. you're, you're 88. You're supposed to. Yes. You're supposed to die of this. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, I'm a goner. Yeah. But, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> we we had it for six days. Wow. Yeah. And during that time, we went out for walks and stuff like this. My yeah. wife had a couple of days longer because she had a cough. Uh -huh. there, there, those are the facts. Yeah. And so, uh, any case, uh, now we go, I'm supposed to go to the next meeting. Uh, also, came out there two two weeks later in Florida, and I decided we decided to tell them we're not going to come in person because we've got COVID. Yeah. I didn't want to, you know I didn't want to be responsible for somebody else, you know, for a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, so I did it virtually, and uh, when it was announced, and I, as I say to the to the audience, about two thousand people, um, it was said. I didn't really arrange this, <laughs> but the person who knows me knows it fairly well. Said we didn't come because I had COVID. Mm. And uh, said we weren't vaccinated. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, now we're you know, and and we're, we're by that time it's almost gone. Yeah. Uh -huh. So we came through. It was no problems, really. Yeah. And that, that's what, exactly what I thought should happen. That's what I saw with the, yeah. the studies out of China that we did. Uh -huh. Yeah. When you created and, uh, a good baseline for your health, too. You created a good, yeah. a good, right. a good, uh, basically immune system. You've cultivated an immune I, I, I don't even know if it's an immune system because you caught it, but an ability for your body to fight off the virus, which, as we know in America, okay, maybe, let's say that every thing of data about coronavirus was was accurate well that just speaks to the lack of health in america right yeah. like i mean if anything yeah. uh rather than just this miracle shot and says hey now you don't need to worry about it anymore oh, now there's five now there's a fourth shot maybe a fifth so yeah. it's it's uh, it's quite interesting yeah 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 and i i have seen i have seen some research showing multiple papers showing that plant-based eaters seem to f seem to not get the super serious effects of COVID, right. like the rest of the population, which I found interesting. 
to. Well, we published as soon as I heard that, by the way, that's the other part of the story. I went back to the data we had, the second China study we did, that was a joint study between Taiwan and mainland China. Mm. We're back in 89. As we, we, we looked, we collected the information on, on the active antigen of this virus. Mm. We collected the information on the antibody to the virus. And this is a virus that causes liver cancer and death. Mm. It's the best leading cause of death in the world. It kills about 800,000 people a year. So we, mm. we had incredible data for nearly 9,000 people. What we found in that was that those who consume animal protein, and not much, yeah. on average animal protein consumption in rural China is like 10% of what we have here. Yeah. Those consuming animal protein, they were the ones that retained the active antigen. They were the ones, therefore, who got the liver cancer and died. Interesting. In contrast, the ones who were the plant-based people, uh, they formed antibodies. Mm. They survived, and they didn't get the liver cancer. Mm. That's fascinating. It's some of the most dramatic data I think I've ever uh, seen in my career. Wow. Uh, so I was sent that in uh, in uh, 19, uh, 2020, near the end of that year, <clears throat> because that's where I'm, I'm, we're making our decisions. I'm making my own decision based on, yeah. on the real science. So I sent it for publication to two journals, leading number ones like uh, almost in the world. Yeah. I published in it before. Uh-huh. And this is the first time I've ever seen this happen. They wouldn't even review it. Mm, <laughs> Not even open it. Wow. Yeah. No. They said they're not going to play that out for review. Wow. Or tell people what we're up against. That's the head in the sand kind of a kind of a thing, right there. Well, that's 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 a violation of uh, of trust if I've ever heard of it before. Because the science, we send in a publication, a manuscript. Let's say the routine is we get two reviewers, sometimes three, uh, and uh, then they make the remarks. It's a formal process. That's peer review. They send it back to the author. And saying uh, whether they think it should be, re, you know, uh, funded or not, and yeah. they give all the reasons why it, they think it should not be funded. If, if in fact they believe that way, yeah. Then the, the authors at that point in time have a chance to react to it. Mm. And so, in my case, they didn't even send it back. No, no one's allowed to review it, so they didn't send anything back. They said, "No, out of here." <laughs> wow, thank gosh. <laughs> but I did still publish it, though. In a, in a European journal, right the European Commission yeah. journal, <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, lesser known journal, but it's out there. Yeah. And that was published in end of January 2020. It was later than another two or three groups came out with, quite frankly, lesser studies. I mean, not fewer people, not very rigorous, but yeah. they got the data that you're talking about. Right. Mm. That's okay. that's really what it was. Same same effect. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be I'd, I I think some of the the meat eaters that listen to us would probably be mad at me if I didn't ask this question. Um, w- when people talk about eating meat, people are like we, we follow some people that are like, oh, you need two steaks with a bunch of butter on top and a bunch of eggs. You need just protein, protein, protein. Uh, cholesterol doesn't matter. It's fine. There's a lot of people that are basically just the complete opposite of what you're saying. Uh, now, what? <laughs> When they speak about how important eating meat and animal protein is, they tend to look back to like primitive ages, whereas like we're hunter gatherers naturally as humans. Um, it, I mean, is that true or no? I, I don't know because, or is that just a what eat what was around kind of thing? 
Well, I followed that argument fairly closely, um, and mm-hmm. I've been on the, actually on the, was it Wall Street Journal uh, debate one time, one time with Larry Kling, and so I have been fairly close to that argument mm-hmm. and paid some attention to those claims and tried to look up the data. Those data are kind of speculative, I have to tell you. <laughs> we we okay. can't be sure of that, you know, what happened, let's say, a few hundred thousand or even a million sure. or two years ago. That's it's really very difficult. Yeah. So it's kind of it's a catchy idea. It's a catchy idea. And uh, so I, I, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to comment because I'm not going to say I know otherwise. Uh, but ha- the point is that when, when we, when we do, this is part of my research, when you're looking at the whole body, you look at the interaction of nutrition and the whole body, there's no way under the sun that this is a recent intervention yeah. at this kind of nutrition. Yeah. Our body is constructed in such a way that it can only survive only survive best by far by eating plants. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our anatomy. All is, the mechanisms. Yeah. N- nature took millions of years to create the system we have. Mm-hmm. And now she knows how to use it. Yeah. And it, it, isn't it kind of interesting that we don't get heart disease? We get, you know, I shouldn't say heart disease is way down, cancer mm-hmm. way down, diabetes way down, chronic yeah. kidney disease way down. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's what I'm... They, that's my question. I open question to the to the the health omnivore. Okay, so there's people that are omnivores or carnivores that are into the health thing, and then there's just regular people that just like to eat meat. And I, I kind of respect the latter more because they're just like, I just want to eat what I want to eat. I know it's not the healthiest. Yeah, I just right. like to enjoy right. life. Actions versus have the, consequences. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Versus the people that are just in complete denial that plant based diets do and have reversed countless diseases throughout human history over and over again in human populations and, and prevented diseases. Well, and it's, it's yeah. just kind of like, what are you, what are you, are you arguing against reality? That well, people but, have but, but also yeah, I, I think it's important to get their argument completely right. And that's also, they'll say that you're malnourished, right? Like, cause you supplement, yeah. correct? You, you, you do supplement, right? Si? like, like, I, I, mean, know, I, I never, no, I never, I never, I'm talking yeah. about. I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, my co-host here. I'm just yeah. saying. Oh, stuff. Like, yeah, but no, no, Colin, no. I, no but yeah, I think I, that's a great point. So, Colin doesn't supplement strictly whole food, right. plant based. Is 88 mm-hmm. years old, completely disease, heart disease free, and everything. So, I, I would say, I mean, I, d- I definitely don't think it's a necessity. And I, I do find it funny. A lot of the omnivores that claim that have uh-huh. huge, huge supplement cabinets. <laughs> of course, of course. No, they do yeah, too. Yeah, like, it's true. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's kind of a weird phenomenon where you know it's like. They say we need supplements, but they take the same supplements or more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, some people would say iron, like some women would say, like, iron, they would be iron deficient if they didn't eat animal protein. I'm just, I'm just, I, it's not my take. I'm just, this is what I hear. So I want to yeah. make sure. It's fair. Yeah. yeah it's out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, well, I'd, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll speak to that. I know that um, there are definitely ways of eating a plant based diet that can make you anemic, but it's very easy to avoid. Would you agree with that, Colin? Yeah. I mean, okay. the plant-based diet, I mean, looking at the totality of the evidence yeah, and the strength of the evidence of a variety of diseases, and then mm-hmm. looking at the biological plausibility, the biochemistry, I mean, fit hand and glove. Yeah. They're undeniable. Yeah. Nobody will ever come along and refute this idea scientifically, I, I will tell you. So how do you see that? We, we can have exceptions from time to time right, for individuals. Right. That's true. Outliers. Yeah. But yeah. who wants to bet on smoking cigarettes? all their lives until they're 95 and have yeah. a 5% chance of surviving. 
Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like Russian. It's like Russian roulette. You know, you you might yeah, get the, the, the empty chamber. You know, you. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's you're good. eighty. You're eighty-eight. In light of the just the conversation we just had, in terms of the last five ten minutes, you know, we want you to live forever. We know that's not going to happen, unfortunately. How do you see the next this next century this this century of nutrition playing out? Do you think it'll it'll get better? Do you think we'll beat the the vested interests? Do you think it'll well, just keep going down a dark path? What, what's your be, projection? Yeah, they asked that question just this afternoon on another one. Uh, yeah. You know, what, what's the future look like? We have a book, The Future of Nutrition, that was the mm-hmm. latest book in 2020. I wrote that with my grandson. But anyhow, wow. um, the the uh, my there, there's only one way that we, we have a choice. Uh, if we actually use the whole food plant-based diet, because of the strength of the evidence and all the rest of it the, that we have, both theoretical and practical, uh, that actually has a huge effect. That will have a huge effect on our environmental problems. Yeah. yeah. No yeah. question about it. Now, the number one cause of uh, climate change is, in fact, livestock, as we've known for some time. It's huge. The mm-hmm. latest estimate is in the 80s, 80%. Right. So that, that's, another really topic that, that's another topic that people kind of – well, they don't think there's a problem. That's the thing. Yeah. Like they don't they don't think that there's that climate change is real. Therefore, yeah. it can't be the livestock because the problem isn't real. Or, a, that's yeah, a, that, I, I disagree with that even as somebody who eats animal products, you know. Yeah. Well, that, that and also yeah, and exactly. And 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 it's like the, you know, animal animal products don't cause heart disease. Uh animal growing animals for food doesn't cause environmental problems. Those two arguments kind of that denialism and just the, you know, like the rainforest being cut down, the the Gulf of Mexico with the runoff from the the pig farming, right? Which was what you, that's what you used to do. You were a hog farmer, right? And that's right. And just and that's they, these things have kind of a, an effect mm-hmm. on our that we could see with our own eyes, right? It's that's what I always kind of realized is like we could see it. We could see mm-hmm. algae blooms. We could see all this crazy stuff happening. So sorry, I I we I jumped in there for you, but go on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a really a big topic. Yeah. Uh, another big topic, too, that's consistent with what we're talking about is human health, environment, so forth. Um, another one is the uh, um, cost of health care. Okay. Cost of health care is through the roof. We spend more on care, care for health than any country in the world per capita. Yeah. Uh, and it's a huge difference in, in a lot of cases. We also have the lowest life expectancy now among Western nations. It's great. The lowest. <laughs> and we yeah. and also the third or fourth, depending on how it's calculated, these are data published 30, 20, 30 years ago. The third leading cause of death, I say fourth if you somewhat, but in third, fourth, yeah, is side effects from drugs. Wow. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. behind heart disease and cancer. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 staggering. You look at some right. of these numbers like this. We yeah. use we're number one in the use of pharmaceuticals. We spend the most money. Yeah, mm-hmm. we have the greatest side effects, of course. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know where how how we can make it. And if you look at the biological plausibility argument, is it's a no brainer. No one yeah. can argue against it. Right. Yeah. yeah there's um, so many things seem to match up with this. It's all one thing. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, I I got just a question. Do you now, Cy? I I know my co-host. He has a definitely a. a ethical problem with eating animals as well do you share that same or is it all health for you like is it all no. just health related 
I did not in the beginning, but I have, uh, I, I admit, you know, we, we I, I, I'm, the ethical argument is a good argument in yep. my view, mm -hmm. uh, but I say that the, the uh, biggest problem we have is to tackle that problem. We don't need that food. To, we don't need to eat right. that food personally, biochemically. Gotcha. We just yeah. don't need it. So and then, then, square 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 then, it, then it becomes ethical because you don't need it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Exactly. Hundred yeah, percent. What, what, what I do uh, dislike, uh, though, is uh, among some of the vegan leaders, they will turn around and say that you know they shouldn't hear my, shouldn't talk about my stuff because yeah. it's, it's based on experimental animals, at least some of it. Yeah, I've seen this. Yeah, so they want to deny that. That's crazy. Oh, yeah, because the, the is. answer is right up their alley. Don't use animal protein. I'll also note that for I can't I don't know why but for some reason and I, I I am adamantly against factory farming it's one of my biggest issues I I detest using animals for you know just slaughtering them senselessly all these different things sure, that yeah. being that being said some of the most hardcore animal rights vegans are the least healthy and the least focused on health that I've ever seen they're they're less healthy than omnivores it's all ethics. Yeah, it's all, yeah, it's all and they're they're eating tons of oil. They're eating tons of processed sugar. They're eating they're eating mm -hmm. fake fake meat. All this stuff, you know, Impossible Burgers. I, and I I could never figure out why that was. And they tell you not to focus on health. And they it's almost like they they're shooting themselves in the foot there. I don't know if you have any comments on that, but I've, it's a trend I've noticed. Yeah, I'll just make one comment. This was told to me by the best known historian historian of vegetarianism. Yeah. Um, Ren Berry was his name, but he passed away says, but in any case, there's only one country that put it in their constitution, you know, animal welfare. Hmm. You know what country that was? No. Hitler's Germany. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Crazy. And then later, uh, later, instead of using animals to test drugs on, they used humans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I put that for that. You know, yeah. Try to figure that out. Yeah, that's crazy. Hundred percent. Yeah, uh, I and this is my uh, my last question. I'm, I'm glad. I'm I'm very thankful that you've uh, that you've given us your time, and this, is, this well, has been wonderful. Uh, this is unrelated to your work, I guess, but I just I know that um, guys that have been doing this for a long time tend to maybe have crossed paths with each other at some time. And I'm wondering, just because he recently passed away, and he's kind of a big figure, um, not in the plant based side, quite quite the opposite. But uh, Ray Pete, are you familiar with Ray Pete at all? No, I'm not. No, okay, okay. Well, it's no big deal then. He, it just—I uh, was just—I was just wondering. He's definitely. I mean, Cy might know a I little bit he, more about. He was a University of Oregon biochemist and got into nutrition, and ha frankly, has a lot of the same ideas of you: anti-reductionism, not not plant-based, um, not but, not in those sliders, but is, yeah. but, is but is but is but is heavy and plant-focused. You know, the raw carrots and right, the things right, like right. that. You know, um, but yeah, he recently passed. Um, just gonna say, I think you outlived him a little bit. You did. No, not, <laughs> just, just, he did. He's yeah. in his, his, his mid eighties. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, not making I any claims. To, just not yeah. keeping yeah, score. I, to, yeah. I do have to run for another appointment. No, though. no problem. No problem. Oh, thank thank you, you so much. Thank you so yeah. much. Um, I'm definitely now for sure gonna stop parsing through the book. I'm gonna read the entire thing. China study. I suggest everybody did. Millions of people have bought it, so you guys should check it out too. Um, and uh, thanks again for your time. This was wonderful. Yeah. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. Cheers. All right, have a good one. See you guys. Okay. Bye.